0: Mac Power Users, episode 704, The Details Matter, with Shahed Kamal Ahmad. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and as always, I am joined by Mr. David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Stephen.
1: How are you today?
0: I am good. How are you?
1: Well, I mean, we're recording at an unusual time, gang. Uh, you're getting this on Sunday afternoon, as you always do. But Steve and I are recording Monday morning. So that means I get to start my my week talking to Stephen Hackett. I mean, it doesn't get better than that.
0: <laughs> I think of a few things. I was, no, I was really, I
1: was pumped up. I woke up this morning. I'm like, oh, I get to record Mac Power Users today. Let's take on this week.
0: Yeah. Well, we have a very special episode, don't we?
1: Yes, we do. We have a friend here today. Welcome to the show, Shahid Kamil Ahmad. Pleasure
2: to be back,
1: absolute pleasure. Shahid, we—it's uh, been several years since we had you. Every time something happens in the gaming world, I think, what does Shahid think about this? Um, but you're so much more than that. You're a very—you're uh, a Mac power user. You work in the gaming industry, so you've got a lot of great insight there. But you're also a productivity guy. You Your guest episode on the Focused uh, podcast is one of my favorite guest episodes we ever had. And uh, uh, I just always enjoy talking to you. So thank, thanks for coming back on the show, man. Oh, I'm the one who gets the most out of this. All right, before we get started, however, we got a little housekeeping. Today on More Power Users, we're going to be talking about gaming on the Mac. Now, Shahid is going to be talking to us as well about... Um, the vision pro stuff during the show, but the gaming stuff is going on. That's a whole nother segment. We're going to talk about that. More power users. If you haven't heard of more power users, you can sign up for it over at relay.fm slash MPU. Um, That is where you get the ad free extended version of the show. We'd love to have you join us there.
0: So let's start by catching up a little bit. Uh, It's been a little while since we've all sat down to, to do one of these. Uh, Shahed, what are you been up to?
2: The biggest change from a, business perspective is I've become a really, um, become really involved in a new venture called Deepwell DTX. Deepwell is a company at the intersection of video games and medical devices. And the mission is to make games that make people better. And by better, I mean Well, I mean, as we're all aware, particularly since the pandemic, the world faces what can be regarded as a a different pandemic of sorts, of uh, a mental health crisis, and the other thing that we've got to be concerned about over the coming years is a crisis in what we sometimes call syndrome X type illnesses, including type two diabetes and and so forth. But initially, our focus is going to be in creating video games that help people manage the symptoms of stress, anxiety, and depression Hmm. through games that will get FDA approval. That's the aim. And the reason for this is quite simple. Video games have been viewed as by many in politics and the media, as negative. And I think it took the pandemic to show people that video games are actually a net positive for society and for, for human beings, particularly isolated human beings. They're a means of connection. And when the two main co-founders of Deepwell first met, they were actually looking to retire Mike Wilson is one of them. He's a legend of the video games industry, one of the main, uh, main people at Devolver Digital. And Devolver Digital, of course, had just gone public. And the other half was and is Ryan, Ryan Douglas. And he'd exited his company, a medical devices company, and they were both hugely successful and they were going to retire They got to talking and they wondered if these crises that they were talking about couldn't find some solution in their two respective industries coming together. So Ryan did what Ryan does, which is he delved into the studies. And to his surprise, and certainly to Mike's surprise, he found that the studies showed pretty much universally that video games are good for you. And the really interesting thing to emerge from this, particularly from the meta-studies, was that a lot of the studies had been conducted with the aim of showing the exact opposite, (laughs) that video games are harmful. And the fact is that since the very beginning, study after study after study around video games has A, shown no causal link, Between video game violence and real world violence, which of course is the one that keeps getting dragged out. But more importantly, B, that video games in general are actually good for you. They make people better. I mean, there are so many examples for this. I won't belabor the point, but I've looked at many studies and I, I think if you like, I can share a few of the talks that I've given where I discuss a few. Astonishing studies that show massive success rates in the use of video games as therapeutics in all kinds of serious conditions, like uh, kids going through operations, for example, massively reducing their requirement for um, post-operative painkillers for burn victims and so on. I mean, these are really, really serious issues and video games have proven to be extremely effective in those cases, but also in areas like... PTSD, I'm sure you and many of your listeners will be aware of the very famous Oxford study around the use of Tetris as a method to reduce the symptoms of PTSD by 50%. Which, if you can imagine a drug having that kind of efficacy, it would be hailed as one of the greatest scientific miracles in history. Most drugs, as you know, have a much, much lower efficacy than that, but they're prescribed widely simply because the net benefit to a large population is substantial. Now, for the last few years, particularly when the pandemic kicked in, my personal situation has been that I wondered if the industry I devoted my life to had any meaning. Yes, yes, you know, there's me with my Maslow's hierarchy of needs looking for self actualization wondering if it was worth it all but that aside <laughs> i did wonder you know where is sure. the meaning is is there meaning in this and mike knew that i was looking at this question cuz i was posting about this publicly cuz he was on the same path he was looking for the meaning as well we both kind of vaguely knew that there was good in video games but we'd never really seen the proof and then when he and ryan formed this company in secret of course there was this wealth of evidence. And that, that was a breakthrough for all of us. So anyway, what happens is Mike reaches out to me and says, listen, I'm setting something up that addresses this. Are you interested? To which my response was, you had me at hello. And <laughs> and, and that is actually the conversation that we had. I've probably got, still got the... Um, iMessages messages somewhere and since then and this would have been around December 2021 yeah oh my goodness is it that long it really is i've been uh one of the founding members of deepwell dtx so that's really the biggest change i still have my coaching uh gig with playstation talents which is pretty much the same thing I was doing before and have been doing since 2016, which is coaching young developers, which I love doing. Absolutely love doing that, mostly in the Iberian region. And I've continued that informally with other people, other developers from time to time, giving the odd public talk. So that's the same as before. Mm -hmm. The other massively new thing since the last time we spoke uh, was... Me deciding, you know, this whole um, looking for meaning thing was me releasing my Code is Just mega thread, which went absolutely gangbusters on Twitter and had all kinds of very famous and far more important people than me talking about it in terms that made me quite embarrassed, I have to say, but uh, (laughs) nonetheless very pleased.
0: Could you give people uh, a taste of what Code is Just was about? yeah initially
2: it came about because uh there's a theme developing here. Lots of friends were passing away. It's seemingly in quick succession, and of course, thoughts of mortality tend to bring the rest of one's life into sharp focus, particularly when they're people that you really care about and I thought, you know what, my family doesn't know a single thing about this activity that I have devoted my life to. They don't know how it started. Nobody really knows in my circle what I did, what I've created, and none of the online databases are much good for that. There's so much misinformation out there and there's a huge lack of information out there. So I know what I'll do. I remembered I had an Excel file lying around on a hard drive somewhere that goes back decades. And in it, I'd entered all of my projects that I'd ever worked on. It's kind of petered out uh, around about the early 2000s, but it was reasonably complete for my early period. And so I decided I was just going to start a really simple Twitter thread where I would mention each of the things I'd worked on and put a tweet out about that project. And if you look at the very first tweet in the whole of the thread, that's exactly what I do. The very first game I remember working on, I mentioned that in one tweet and I thought, okay, this is how I'm going to continue. And the first day's tweets, it's actually quite a short thread, but for some reason it got started to get really, really big traction, really, really big. And it shocked me by the end of the second day, it was seemingly everywhere And what I was doing was I was setting aside some time every day to live tweet. None of this was prepared. So I was building this thread up, no editing. You know, I didn't have that feature back then. I was building this thread up day by day, didn't have a clue what was coming next. And it started turning into something that felt almost interactive. And that continued for seven days. And I ended up calling it um, the first season of Hmm. code is just and it just it just went everywhere it's crazy i think it was in it was in hacker news it was you know there are people from all over the world talking about it and telling me about it and these authors saying it's the best thing on twitter and uh we had famous people in the uk going on about it famous people in the us going on about it a lot of people credible people saying it was the best thread ever on Twitter. Not just a video game thread, but best thread ever on Twitter. And I have to say, looking back at it now, I have to agree. I don't think I've seen a better thread, and I can't give myself credit for it because it just came out that way. Yeah. You know, I I wasn't thinking. I wasn't planning. The whole thing just spilled out of me as this perfectly formed story. And like I stepped away from it thought How did this happen? I was really caught up in the moment. It was a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. But the fact, fact of it being on Twitter, I think, is what made it special. Because there was interaction happening while I was doing it. Really powerful time. But that expanded into three seasons.
1: You guys want to hear something super frustrating? Sure. I want to read this, but Twitter doesn't believe that I'm me. And they won't let you read threads now unless you're logged in. So I actually can't read it. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I put my password and it says, something went wrong. That's the answer.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, that sounds about right. I mean, that's kind of how things have been going. That's Uh, when
2: something (laughs) definitely did go wrong. Well, I've compiled the whole thing um, into one massive PDF. I fixed a lot of spelling mistakes because obviously it was all tweeted live. I've added references and I'm happy to share that with you, but it's not for public release. I was going to sell it at some point, I just yeah. never got round to it, because I've got, I actually got a book agent off the back of this who wants me to make the book of this. Oh, cool. So yeah. the reason I haven't released the compilation is I don't want to do anything that might potentially affect a book sale. Yeah, sure, sure. I can't speak about this. Uh, I can't speak about who it is, but there's actually a reputable production company that took up the option I had to get a screen agent.
3: Wow. <laughs> that's <just>
0: crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's like, who,
2: whoever thinks you're going to write a tweet thread
1: and it's going to turn into a movie deal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes sometimes that's how, I mean, I, th- I think we've all experienced that. Maybe not to, to that degree, but sometimes you do something on the internet and it just clicks with people, right? Yeah. And, and then yep. sometimes you, you spend months on something and nothing happens, you know? It's just the internet kind of chooses what it wants sometimes.
1: It does. Can I, can I go back to DeepWell real quick? am. Um, sure. I'm just curious, what, is there a type of game that you're thinking about in terms of what you want to do? I mean, you just said we want to make games to help people, but I, do, does that change like the game dynamic? Or I mean, what are you thinking about the products that will come out right. of DeepWell?
2: Okay, so the first thing that everyone should be aware of is that the games themselves are medicinal. What people don't uh, quite grasp is that games in and of themselves are therapeutic and potentially medicinal. And the game we've got, we've got uh, two games in development, one in early development, one which is pretty much done, uh, have a repeatable benefit. And it's done through certain mechanics, which are measurable, which are directable. And I can't be too much more specific than that, because obviously we, we want to keep this quiet until it actually comes out. Sure, But it is a new type of thing that we're doing, because the most important thing is to be able to formalize that, right? So mm-hmm. before, games have had this benefit, but nobody really quite understood what aspect of the game was producing the measurable effect that's what we're working on mechanisms of action through which repeatable benefits can be obtained and measured.
1: I can tell you personally, I find Alto's adventure to be a calming effect on me. It's a game where you're skiing down a hill. There's really no stakes to the game. And if you fall over, you start over again. And I find that game calms me when I play it as silly Mm. as it sounds. And, uh, and so I, I I I hear where you're coming from. I think there might mm. be something here. I'm looking forward to that. What else are you working on these days? Ooh. As if that's not enough. Uh,
2: I'm back into making music. I've been practicing bass guitar very hard uh, because I want to get my chops up to release standard. I got myself a seven-string bass have Ooh, you ever heard of a seven string yeah, bass yeah, you're serious you're serious yeah seven string bass it's the only one i know of that's tuned from a low b all the way up to a high f now there are six string basses that are tuned from low b to a high c but this one goes up to a high f uh, it's just a thing of absolute beauty
1: you guys know who in our circles is a master of that instrument is sal sigoin you know the apple right. Strip guy right he went to berkeley Uh, music school he plays that i've seen him play that bass where he plays like a jazz he's playing basically playing jazz guitar with half of it and he's playing the bass line at the same time yeah i I don't even know how he does it but that guy is remarkably good
2: musician well if if he's gone to berkeley then his his musical facility will be elite level yeah i'm more a songwriter so bass was my primary instrument so I have several basses in the Shah shed, but although my technique is good, I wouldn't describe myself as elite, um, but more than good enough, more than most bass players. Uh, I like play guitar, keyboards, saxophone, whatever it takes to write the song. The song is the thing that I care about. And that's, that's what I want to be working on f- at some point. You guys are doing those Jacob Collier things one day where
1: you just take videos of yourself playing each instrument (laughs) and it comes together.
2: Yeah. I I don't know. I maybe need to lose a few pounds before I'm as videogenic as Mr. Collier and probably a few decades as well.
3: Yeah.
1: And then you also make remaster, which is the computer video game. We are still doing remaster. Yeah. The the game, the gaming podcast of relay.
0: I won't tell the other shows. Remasters my favorite show art on the network
2: oh, it's so you're... good
0: it is so good
2: <laughs> why why do you like it so much
0: uh, i love all the detail like the little um podcast sticker that's supposed to be i guess like the like a, the age rating for a game and the little holographic relay logo so it's you know it's authentic and the thing looks like it's wrapped in plastic wrap like uh simon is such a good job on this it is it is my favorite yeah
2: yeah, he's a legend. He
0: is a legend. Come, come back, Simon. Yeah, he—he's. Uh, I mean, I love JD, our current designer. He's done some amazing work, but so did Simon. We've been very fortunate over the years to work with some really talented designers.
1: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password. Go to onepassword.com/mpu and get twenty percent off your subscription. Both Steven and I are avid 1Password users. We use it to manage all the passwords on our devices. We use it to share passwords with our family. We use it to seamlessly set up new passwords when we sign up for new services. And we also use all those gatekeeper features so it keeps an eye on the websites we deal with and make sure we don't get in trouble. But the feature I want to focus on today is one of my favorites that doesn't really get enough mention, and that's the 1Password Vault. The secure vault is a section of 1Password where you can add notes and upload files that are secured behind the 1Password security scheme. So if someone gets your phone or your device and they unlock it, they still can't get to your secure vault. There's a second bank door they have to go through to get to that. And that is a big one. It's the 1Password vault. So I put a lot of stuff into 1Password in that secure vault that I don't want to just put on my phone. For example, I've got details in there about social security numbers. Uh, when I store passwords for family members, when I, you know, manage their Wi-Fi and stuff, I put it in secure vaults. When I put personal notes in there about medical care, there's just a bunch of stuff that if someone got my phone and unlocked it, I don't want them to have. And I love the ability to put that stuff behind the one password secure vault. I just went through and audited my secure vault. There's about a hundred notes there, and it's a lot of information that I would like to have at my fingertips, but I don't want just on my phone. With 1Password, you truly get that convenience of having all your stuff at your fingertips, but also the privacy and security that you get from having it behind a secure password application. So go check it out. If you're already a 1Password subscriber, take a look at what's in your vault. Maybe you want to add some stuff to it. Make sure you protect yourself. If not, you can sign up for 1Password. Just go to onepassword.com slash MPU. You can get a 20% discount when you go there with that code MPU. Once again, onepassword.com slash MPU. Check it out, show your support for the show and start protecting yourself today.
0: So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your gear. Uh, you, like David and I, have uh, a dedicated workspace, but it's it's at home. Uh, tell us about how how that's shaped up. And I really want to talk about this through the lens of contextual computing, because you have multiple setups in your office space for various things. How did you land on that?
2: It was, for me, a question of getting into the right frame of mind. Because working on my own, and having as much gear and as many different activities as I do, it, it seemed that it, I, I, f- I felt almost confused coming into my space and that confusion I felt was sapping my focus and my decision making cycles it was a very a, a very fleeting feeling but I I kept noticing it and it didn't feel right that I had this redundancy and this confusion in my working space. So I decided I was going to have one desk purely for work and nothing but work, which is where I'm currently sat. So work activities uh, would mean anything to do with any of the um, clients I've spoken about or any of the work I'm talking about, including the music. Including the podcasting. So, for example, remaster gets done at my work setup. And I have a whole bunch of equipment on this one massive Herman Miller ratio desk. It's an enormous desk, but I like to have the space just in case. And what happens is it'll go from periods of extreme tidiness to an absolute dump. <laughs> because I need stuff on it, you yeah. know? And and back again, because I love, I, I love my area to be clean, and I tidy up regularly, but I want the option of going into all-out chaos mode when I need to. And it feels very good to have a clear space in which to have that chaos when I need it. But if that was a chaotic space devoted to more than one activity, I don't think I would function. And that's why I decided I was going to split everything up so my work desk is that it goes from hyper clean to chaotic right now it's chaotic because i've had a number of different activities to attend to today and then i have the other desk which is my uh, mid-century herman miller zebrawood desk absolutely love that desk my favorite desk and i thought because i love this desk so much and it's mid-century like i am and let's be clear: mid-century is mid-twentieth century. Yes, the last millennium.
3: <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I I decided I had to have that completely clear, absolutely clear, nothing on it, not one single item. And it took me quite some time to get there. So I mounted my Mac Mini on uh, on the wall, mounted everything up on the wall, and I finally achieved. Desk Nirvana, at some cost, it has to be said. But that desk is for two primary activities. The first is writing. And when I say writing, I mean pen and paper. It's a mid century desk. So that means paper and fountain pen. I love fountain pens and uh, I have a whole bunch of them. So when I need to do some writing, when I need to plan my day, clear my head, plan things out for the long term, uh, get something out into the world so that I can shape it. This is something I talked about last time, I think, the whole feeling of you got to get it out of your head. you got to have it in the real world for it to mean anything. So that's what that's for. And the secondary activity on that desk is video conferencing. But it's video conferencing, but it's also when I give my talks to students, I use it for that. So that has my uh, crazy teleprompter camera light set up, and it's got a monitor on a swing arm attached to the wall and, and so on. So those are the two primary activities. It does mean that I'll sometimes need to use a wireless keyboard and mouse, but that's fine. And that's what Obsidian Sync is for, right? So... Uh, We'll probably get to Obsidian at some point. Uh, You probably still like Mitching to get to Obsidian. I love (laughs) it so much. Well, I'm I'm rubbing my hands together, so I guess that means we will. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so those are my two working desk setups. And then I have a gaming area. Then I have a music area. And then I have a coffee area. And the coffee area bridges the games and music areas, which I'm quite pleased about.
1: I like the idea of contextual desks. I mean, I I do it too. Having two desks can make a lot of uh, sense. I think it sounds very precious when I say it out loud, and people roll their eyes. You know, get a load of this guy; he's got to have two desks. <laughs> you know, but uh, if you have the room for it and you have the desk, why not? And like you, I do find that I get a benefit from a context shift. Like I know that. Uh, I I think the trick to having two desks is just like Shahid has explained, have different things you do at the different desks and don't cross the streams, you know, Mm -hmm. make this the thing you do that thing at and that the thing you do the other thing at and, and just keep them separate. I mean, like I, I also have a writing desk. It's kind of a family heirloom that's been passed down and I make a point of not writing when I'm sitting at my production desk where I make podcasts and field guides and things. Uh, I move the chair over and I work at the other desk and I actually find it very, uh, very useful and it allows my brain to switch gears. And, you know, the way our brains work is so confusing, you know, we're starting to get more insight on it as science gets a little better, but there truly is something to the idea of a contextual shift. And, um, uh, if you're rolling your eyes at two desks, don't, you know, give it a try sometime, maybe, go use the kitchen table to do one kind of work and then your other desk to do the other kind of work and and, f- and experience it for yourself would be my challenge to you.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, obviously I agree because I've set up my entire shed this way, but le- let me just point people to the idea of having two desktops or two monitors. And we use those often for different reasons, right? I mean, I had uh, at one point many years ago, I'd have two screens side by side, one would have unity on one would have rider on what is that if not contextual working space so we kind of do this in our digital realm why not adopt similar principles in in the physical realm it's a nice way of organizing activity i think a reasonably intuitive way the whole mise en place thing you know
3: yeah yeah
2: well it and it depends what you do
1: and if you've got space i mean if you work in a cubicle all day, and you know you tell your boss, "Well, I need a separate cubicle to do my journaling in," <laughs> I don't think that's going to go over that well, you know. So <laughs> it's definitely a, a thing where you have to be lucky enough to have the option, but it it works. And uh, I talked last year on the show about a great book I read by Annie Murphy Paul called "The Extended Mind," where she actually delves into the science, and there is real proof to this that as we start getting better at contextualizing our lives we become more efficient and and do better work so i'm going to push back on the on that when people criticize this stuff because i think it's something that can really make a difference you just got to find out what that means for you but i i was thinking about it heavily when i built out my own studio and i think about it constantly in terms of the work i do
0: i think that apply can apply to people who don't work for themselves or don't, ha- you know, aren't, you know, like you said, <laughs> boss, I need another cubicle for something. Like, I think this yeah. could be as simple as focus modes on your Mac and iPhone or having, you know, if you are able to having email only open for certain times of day, right? Like it doesn't have to be as fancy as I have this completely other separate workspace, but it, 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 there are more subtle ways where I think this can work for people.
3: Yeah,
2: Absolutely. I tell you what I used to do at PlayStation is if I needed a contact switch, I would take my laptop down to the cafeteria and I would work there for a while. Yeah. Just to put yourself in a different place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even now I'll, if I really want to break change your scenery, I'll take my laptop. I'll walk to the nearest cafe and I'll work there for a while.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's thing, uh, a hack. A lot of people use. Hmm. And I think that that works great. And I think the trick to that is have certain types of things you do at the cafe. Like maybe you do the deep work, the heavy stuff at your desk but you say, I'm going to deal with email and the shallow work at the cafe. And then Mm. suddenly you start, your brain starts associating doing the hard stuff at your desk and the easy stuff at the cafe. And then you can actually control you know what direction the gear shift of your brain, depending on where you're
2: sitting, and I, I can tell you personally, it works for me. yeah so much about the brain that's that's interesting, that still needs to be explored. And and you you hit upon something quite interesting there is that trick, not tricking, but almost flipping a switch in your brain, saying, "Okay, it's time for this. It's time for that." And I think this has become increasingly important in an age where more and more of us are working from home.
0: Yeah, I, I think a lot of lessons learned uh, in the pandemic can, can apply far beyond it, without a doubt. So we've talked about your, your multiple uh, desks. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the technology you're using. What, what does your computing life look like?
2: My main working machine is a 14-inch MacBook Pro And it's not the absolute top, but it's pretty close. I went for the 10-core CPU, 24-core GPU, and my intuition at the time was I'm not sure that a machine this small will handle the heat of a 32-core GPU that well. I was really tempted, and I thought, "Do do I really need that? And given the price differential, I thought, no, let's stick to this. So I went for 32 gigs of RAM, uh, one terabyte SSD, and it was quite expensive, but it was worth every penny. It is, I, I know I said this the last time, I was talking about my 16-inch MacBook Pro being the best machine ever, but this absolutely destroys that machine. This does everything. I can throw at it. Everything. It never breaks a sweat. There is no amount of work this machine can't handle comfortably on any size monitor. And it's you know, the the next machine is not even close. And the thing that's really funny is I don't hear the fans spin up. I mean it'll be doing crazy amounts of stuff and the fans don't spin up. So yeah, I mean this m1 max it is a max i think oh i don't know i don't know how they do it it's just you know compared to my dell for example i've had a dell xps thousand changed since the last time i don't want to turn that machine on it's got a lovely 17 inch uh thin bezel screen but i hate to open it because the second i do the fan starts spinning up I was like, I I don't care how good this machine is. And I don't care how powerful you say the intel in this is. If that's all I can hear, my peace is gone. And all I can think about is the heat and the noise. And really, if I want heat and noise, I will walk down the middle of Oxford Street in London, you know, on a summer's day. I I don't want it to sit in front of a laptop so for me the, the MacBook Pro 14 the, the thing that's most astonishing about it is not the power. The power is amazing. I will take it gladly, but it's the fact that it makes everything look so effortless. It's so effortlessly cool and and it's small. The 14 inches as well. That screen absolutely beautiful. Have I have I talked about my MacBook Pro 14 inch with the M1 Max lovingly enough, long enough yet? Do you think?
1: No, I think uh, we're not really convinced to tell you the <laughs> truth. Uh, you know, th- there's a whole thing going on right now because the Mac Pro came out. And I guess you could look at it as a dud, you know, because it's not what people expect it to be. It's very close to the Ultra. And either they overshot with the Ultra or they undershot with the Mac Pro. I don't know how you look at it. But the question I keep asking people is like, what? is the current Mac that you own, is it not doing the job for you? You know, is it not performing as you need it to? And with the Apple Silicon, the story for everybody, but the most elite users has to be, yes, it's fine. I mean, these things are screamers, uh, but there's a little weird thing at the top end, but yeah, I, I just don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making out of it. Maybe I'm being an apologist, I don't know.
2: I don't think so. Because there are a lot of people who who really didn't like the Mac and didn't want to like the Mac who've been forced to concede that these are the most astonishing machines around. Yeah, you probably see that
1: because you're around all these gaming folks who are not Mac enthusiasts.
2: Right. And the world of YouTube as well. You know, former diehard PC evangelist switching to the Mac because they're forced to concede that, yeah, this machine has got absolutely everything. There's nothing that comes close. I I mean, there is no way I'd give this machine up for a PC, no matter how powerful the machine, and even if it was quiet, because I don't think there's anything that could touch it, frankly. I mean, is there an Intel out there that could come close? Not yeah. Well, I mean, the, the unique thing that Apple
1: has is performance per watt, right? Um, there are computers that are more powerful than the high highest-end Mac. They probably sound like a lawnmower when you turn them
2: on because That's there's the just. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. I mean, there is this perception that has to be worked with, right? I mean, the whole thing about Apple and the Macintosh for me over the decades it's been around is that everything seems so much cooler and more effortless than every other thing it doesn't it it doesn't have all that fury you know it's not screaming at you i'm powerful yeah. it just does <laughs> it you know yeah, whereas a yeah. pc is like it needs all these rgb lights coming on you know the rgb lights on the keyboard and the fans and It needs that enormous case to convince you of its brute force. And it needs these graphics cards that are larger than your MacBook Pro. (laughs) And it needs like a 700 watt power supply before it'll even get out of bed in the morning. And, you know, and, and it's all this performance. And at the end of the day, you turn it on and the thing is screaming at you. And you've had to wait ages for it to start and then. Nowadays, that's a lot better, of course. But then, you you know, you get into your game, and and now you've got to get the speakers, and you need the speakers with a subwoofer. Otherwise, all you can hear is the fan noise. And then you've got to make sure that the thing is cooled adequately. And then you touch it, and your hand burns, or you bump your knee against the case, and you start hearing the whir of the fans a bit louder, and it's vibrating against... It's just too much performance. Yeah. And it's the wrong kind of performance. It's a dramatic performance. That's the feeling I get using a PC. And that's why I gave my beefy Alienware PC with a beefy Ultra Titan GeForce 2080 bells and whistles TI graphics card to my son. Because it's fine for a young boy It's not fine for a man who needs to get his work done and needs peace (laughs) and quiet to do it. And that's why your son thinks you're the
0: best dad in the world. Absolutely. (laughs)
2: See, win-win.
0: Yeah, it's just amazing what they've been able to do moving to their own Silicon. and, And we're now kind of in the the evolution phase of it, right? I mean, moving from Intel to Apple Silicon was amazing because you get this one big time jump. Same as when they went from PowerPC to Intel, honestly. But now we're getting to see how they can really make this work over time. And I think that's just as exciting because things like the M2 Air, you know, fantastic computer. And going back to the point earlier, enough computer for just about everybody. Apple Silicon has, in a way, democratized computing performance at a level we hadn't really seen before.
2: Yeah, completely. I've got a confession to make about the M2 Air. I picked up one of those as well.
0: It's so good.
2: It is. I keep it in my Tom Bean co-pilot. So whenever I want to nip to the cafe, it's already in the bag. I know, I know. I know how that makes me sound.
0: No, <laughs> no, 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 it's... You, you, it, Shahid, they,
1: you're among family here. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I think the listeners would agree. You know, I'm hey, squirming, but oh little, my God, it's all so us, good. The, those of us making the show, and those of us listening to the show are surrounded <laughs> by people that don't understand that, but we get you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we are with you. We embrace you. It's so beautiful. You. It's so light. It's so powerful. It does everything I need it to do. It does it without a fan, does it without a fuss the screen is great the build quality is great the keyboard is great what what can i say i mean apple have nailed them you remember we were we were complaining about the state of macintosh oh yeah just a few years ago and look at the difference they didn't have to do much but my goodness can you imagine what it would have been like inside apple During the time, they knew they were developing Apple Silicon for Macs. They knew they had a vision for the transformation that would take place. They had a vision for the thermals. They had a vision for the whole power to what story. They had a vision for how the whole thing would develop. They had a vision for how it would destroy the PC space and would render every other laptop redundant. And all they could hear during that time was people like us saying, the Mac's over. <laughs> <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and they're going, <laughs> I th- I'm pretty
1: sure the last time you were on the show, Shahid, we had the segment, you know, What Went Wrong with Your Keyboard segment that we had on every guest show for years, you know? Absolutely, and yeah. It, it really is night and day what's happened uh, yeah. with the Mac. And like Steve and I at one point were going, Well, huh, I wonder if they stop making the Mac, do we still call it the Mac Power Users? You <laughs> yeah. Know? And, um, and all, you know, it really is just, I I feel like that's the best story to come out of Apple in years, just the resurrection of the Macintosh platform and how it's, it's really become a foundational uh, building block of everything. I mean, the Mac is the, is the soul of the vision pro, you know, if you look at the chip inside it, it's, it's not a, it's not a phone chip, it's a Mac chip underneath all of that, you know? Right. Uh, so I, uh, I'm i with you, man. I, I'm very excited about that. And that's why owning a couple of them, not the end of the world, buddy. I think there's
2: a lot of us that do. Yeah, except I uh, own three max.
0: That's fine. That's fine. I can't judge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something that you had, uh, we talked about before the show, was your use of, uh, you got a couple cameras in there and a couple of, mm-hmm teleprompter setups and i wonder uh what you're using those for and and what gear you have going on
2: okay so the idea behind the teleprompter is simply to be able to make eye contact with the person i'm having a video conference with and the way that's accomplished is through an ipad mini on my work desktop uh on the mini teleprompter and on the main video conferencing desktop I have a recent iPad Air, the one with the M1 chip. That sits in the tray of the teleprompter. Behind the teleprompter is obviously the camera. And then with a cable, the iPad Air is connected to the Mac Mini, which is mounted on the wall. And I'm running software called Duet. I'm sure you're aware of it. But Duet is not just any old... Um use the iPad as a second display piece of software. Yeah. It also mirrors the iPad screen if you want it to, which makes it ideal for a teleprompter. So what I do is whenever I take a video call, and I had a couple before uh before I did this, I will move the display on which the video conference is happening or the window in which the video conference is happening onto my iPad and the way you accomplish that is by hovering over the the I think it's a green button and then you'll get a drop down and uh you could I th- if you didn't have duet you could just move it to the iPad but then it wouldn't be mirrored and if you have duet it will say move to duet the whole window moves to duet it's now mirrored so now I see the teleprompter showing me an image of the video conference happening, and I'm now looking straight at the person I'm talking to. So that that's amazing for video conferencing, but it's also amazing for when I'm giving a talk to a large group of people, because I can get real-time facial responsiveness, feedback, whatever, from the people who are on the call. And it's also really good for when I want to record Presentations for people, because I can have my script up on the teleprompter, which is a conventional use of course, and i'm I'm speaking straight to camera, so there are a number of uses, but the main one really is to level up my um, video conferencing game because the lens is great, people always comment on how good the video quality is, but the fact that i 'm looking people straight in the eyes is. <sighs> Let's face it, it's a bit of a flex, because it's hard for other people to do that unless Mm -hmm. they have the same setup. But it means they know for sure, 100%, that I'm giving them my full attention. And that means a lot to me, because, let's face it, we do a lot more video conferencing, web meetings, call them what you like, than we used to pre-pandemic. Yeah. They've replaced a lot of meetings. So my thinking was that if that's going to happen, then I've got to give as much of my presence as possible to the other person to help them feel more comfortable. And it's going to become increasingly important. And I know there's some AI trickery out there that can try and move your eyes to face people, but that doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is if you're not genuinely making eye contact, then your micro-expressions are not mirroring or matching the person you're speaking to choosing
1: between looking at the camera and having AI make it look like you're looking at the camera is, is the difference between a sincere friend and, you know, somebody, an ax murderer. you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's it. You've nailed it. (laughs) It's got that ax murderer vibe. You're absolutely right. (laughs) I, I feel like, uh,
1: you're right, though. We are doing a lot more of this. And we hear people, I hear from listeners all the time, I'm like, look, I make my living now at home. And what does that mean? And and so we this comes up on the show occasionally, uh, You know, tactics for taking good video conferencing or how to look good on Zoom. And that stuff is very popular with the audience because people are trying to figure this out for themselves now, where before just using the crappy webcam and the built-in microphone was enough. People now are actually looking... To make themselves look better because that's you know every job is a sales job at some point, right, so you if you look better, maybe that'll help and I think uh I think there's a lot to that people are really interested in it,
2: yeah, and I mean it was so important to me that I've got two such setups they're not identical uh the main web conferencing setup is a much better setup than I have at my work desk, but the work desk remember is meant to be functional yeah and and I have that set up here. Which is I'd say it's about seventy percent of the level of the other one, but I'm still making that eye contact, which is really, really important to me, but it's there if I need it, it's there at the working desk if i you know if I need to get work done while I'm speaking to somebody then that's that's really important, so yeah i i I wish there was a more well thought out integrated solution to this because it's becoming more and more important. But for now, we have to manage with hacks. And the good thing is that all of the things that you need to manage this hack are widely available now. There's no rocket science here. There's nothing magical here. I'm using, you know, off-the-shelf stuff. So it's Elgato Camlink 4K. Everyone knows about that. Okay, wait. Everyone knows about it,
1: but... Does everybody know about it? I, I feel like, because I went through this in my own setup recently, I I gave up on a uh, camera that I'd purchased, you know, and I, I went to using uh, an, a an, a Sony camera plugged in and I tried to use the cheaper ones and mm. they all sucked. And I finally just bit the bullet and I bought the Elgato 4K and it just, it it is the one. I just... If you're listening and you're on the fence, you're like, "But I can get one cheaper." Don't just get this one. It always works. It just works when you plug it in. There's no software to manage, and it gets you a true 4K signal into your Mac. And a lot of things say they do, and they don't actually do it when you get them and you plug them in. I'm sorry, I don't work for Elgato, but it sounds like it. But I I wasted so much time when I should have just bought this damn thing to begin with.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely right. I bought. Uh, I had one for a while and I thought I'm going to need to duplicate the setup so I bought a cheaper one like you did. And yeah. as you say, it sucked. I mean it was so sucky I I couldn't quite believe that they described it as the equivalent of something like the Elgato. I mean there was just no comparison. And not only was it worse quality, it was glitchy, it crashed. It you know, it needed me to reboot the Mac. Anyway, so now I have two Elgato Link 4Ks, and, and the job is done. And then there's an iPad, there's the teleprompter, there's a mirrorless digital camera. I use Sony because I think Sony are the best, um, all bias aside, and ideally some kind of key light. You can manage without a fill light, you can manage without a rim or headlight, but you really need a key light. And ideally the key light has some kind of softbox, um, if not, ideally bounce it off something, otherwise you'll look terrible. And make sure you can ideally adjust the white balance so that when, I mean, here's something that I do that not, not a lot of people notice, but I think is really important. I adjust the color temperature of the light depending on what time of day it is. So if it's midday, it'll be like full on 6K right 6000k or whatever it is yeah and if it's evening it'll be all the way down to 3300k 3, and it it really does make a difference people get a sense of what time of day it is where you are if you make that difference it's really easy to do all these things come with remote controls now anyways you can turn the t- color temperature up and down such a pro such a pro the detail matters i think yeah Look, if we're meeting in the same place, nobody cares. You share the same lighting, but all the see here's the 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 more information you can give the other party about your context, the more human you appear. And for me, that's always been important. It's always been about how much uh, how much more human can you appear, even in a corporate setting. When I was at PlayStation, the thing that helped me become as successful as I became was realizing that we needed to present the most human face possible.
1: It it is not that difficult. And you can go crazy and buy, like, I have a Sony camera, which is, you know, those are not cheap. I don't have the most expensive one, but I have a nice one with a depth of field. Um, But I part of the reason is because the Max Barkey Labs, I make many videos. So I I want to be able to come off nice. But you can get, there are upper-end webcams and there are lower-end webcams standard cams it can be plugged in with the elgato device it really doesn't cost that much money to dramatically improve the look
2: that's a great point because one of the best upgrades you can make to your entire setup is just to use a half decent microphone yeah and they don't cost much uh okay you you have a fancy (laughs) one right (laughs) yeah but i've been podcasting for years yeah yeah i'm an audio nut anyway So I I have a few, but my main one is still as recommended by the one and only Marco Arment, a Neumann KMS-105 going into a sound device's MixPre 3.2.
1: Yeah, but we all pay for our shoes podcasting, so we've got the good ones. But I think if someone was listening and they wanted to up their game for work, first of all, I would say anything is better than the built-in. Even though Apple says they have studio-quality mics and... The new max. That is a very liberal interpretation of the word yes. "quality." Studio. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, there's a there's a physics problem. The microphone is far away from your mouth, so it's going right. to pick up a lot of outside noise. Get something closer to your mouth. And uh, we've even had guests on the show who are not podcasters, and they're like they say, "Well, what do I do?" And I said, "Just get yourself one of those twenty dollar USB headset mics." And even that is like a the 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 amount of. Um, the uh, return on investment you get for that $20 USB headset mic is remarkable. It's the most you're going to get. You know, mm-hmm. After that, it just gets smaller and smaller with every jump up. But if you're going to do a lot of this stuff, get a microphone that you can keep close to your mouth. Yeah. What do you guys think about using AirPods as a microphone for video conferencing?
2: I've had problems with them. So I did try to use AirPods for receiving audio not sending audio. So I didn't use the microphone because I had a decent microphone. So I wanted to use them for receiving because I didn't want to have any feedback issues with any of my web conference calls. Yeah, But they were unreliable. Sometimes they would just drop out and I couldn't get audio back at all. All
1: right. I have not had that. So I use them on a lot of video conferences where I use them for my, um, Audio out, where I get audio into them, and then I don't have to have the cables and or the big cans on my ears. Right, right. Um, but I use a, a microphone, a proper microphone, in front of me to talk into. Uh, Stephen, what about you?
0: I'll use them if I if I have to. I think it's better than just opening your laptop because then you're going to have speaker noise back through the microphones and Zoom and a bunch of other apps try to get around that. But
1: you yeah, know, it
0: it can be that can be a bit tricky. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, though. It's a little bit of an older article. Jason Snell wrote it called A Podcast Studio for Under $100. And it's some great advice that I think is super applicable to what we're talking about, that if you're looking to up your game and, you know, don't want to spend a lot, he has some good suggestions in this blog post. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by MacPaw, who are thrilled to announce Moonlock, their new cybersecurity division. And along with it, their are upgraded to CleanMyMac Malware Removal Module. You can join millions of satisfied users who rely on CleanMyMac's malware removal for its ease of use and dependability. And now it's powered by Moonlock Engine. It's even more effective in safeguarding your Mac than ever before. Because Moonlock Engine is brought to you by Moonlock Division, the new cybersecurity unit by MacPaw. Find out more about Moonlock Engine and try the updated CleanMyMac My Mac with 5% off with the coupon code MoonlockMPU using the link in the description. This is a pretty big deal for Clean My Mac X. I think it's really awesome that MacPaw is putting people and expertise and money and resources behind cybersecurity to keep Mac OS users safe. There's a lot to love about this new Moonlock division. This means that Clean My Mac X. Uh, now has faster scans, running up to two times faster, ensuring quick and efficient protection for your Mac. Plus expanded coverage, because the scan now covers additional locations like external drives, mail attachments, archives, browser extensions, and more, leaving no stone unturned in the fight against malware. And you can customize your scan to suit your needs. Prioritize either speed or coverage, giving you control over the level of protection that you want. Backed by a dedicated team of experts, Moonlock is exclusively focused on addressing the security needs of Mac users. As threats continue to rise, they're committed to bridging the gap between emerging risks and the knowledge needed to protect against them. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about the Moonlock engine and try the updated CleanMyMac with 5% off when you use the coupon code MOONLOCKMPU. Our thanks to MacPaw and their new cybersecurity division, Moonlock, for their support of the show and Relay FM.
1: So, in addition to making games and doing all this cool video conferencing stuff, uh, you also have to get your work done. And earlier you said the magic word obsidian. Obsidian didn't exist the last time you and I talked. What are you doing with obsidian? It
2: did, but only just. And you mentioned it. Ah, uh, I led and you I- to it. I you did I had been I'd been ragging on Electron I don't know if you remember this conversation but I had been ragging on Electron and I said I cannot stand anything done in Electron and then cuz I'd been thinking about Obsidian I thought ah no Electron I'm not bothering with yeah, that another Electron app yeah yeah and then you mentioned it and then you said actually it's it's pretty good and then I said yeah okay I'm going to use it tonight. And since that night, I've been using it. And you said, oh, it's Electron. And I said something along the lines of uh, Electron. Didn't I say I love Electron? (laughs) Since then, I've been using Obsidian relentlessly, remorselessly, religiously. It's absolutely the foundation of my working life now. I couldn't live without it. I built tons of workflows for it. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)
3: Well, well, you're
1: welcome, first of all. But the uh, what are you, because there's a lot of ways you can use this tool. Like, I feel like some people use it kind of like as a research, external brain kind of thing. Some people do more like what I would call personal knowledge management, where they put all the little bits of their life into it.
2: What is your use for it? Okay, so I live in Obsidian. What does that mean? That means anything that I think about, that I want to record, goes into Obsidian. I use front matter extensively. And I have to say, 1.4 has really cheered me up. Because of course, all of that is now taken care of automatically. Beautiful. It's the best update ever. I'm so happy about that. Uh, It also allows you to use links. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but I'm so excited. It lets you use links in the front matter, which I've been wanting for so long. Anyway, rewind. So, I use periodic, uh, uh, I think it's periodic notes, is it? Anyway, this allows you to use daily, yeah. weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly templates to structure your time, which I have been doing. This, for this, I have template set up. The templates not only give me useful headings around which to structure my day, but they also automate the extraction of certain key things I will need for each and every period using the data view plugin. Yeah. I'll data also view. use I'll also use tasks, the tasks plugin. Yeah. And I will use data view to extract certain task information. So all of my task management happens in Obsidian. It's all tracked according to projects. Right,
1: let, let me interrupt you there. Cause that, that's an interesting one. I feel like, um, like I, I spent two months using that tasks plugin. Cause I, I've been working on the obsidian field guide and I wanted to like really master it before I did the video on it. And that is a real option for people. Uh, it didn't stick for me to be honest, because I like to manage tasks often on mobile. And I felt like it's just not quite there yet on mobile, but the, uh, but you know, defer dates, due dates, you know, repeat tasks. It, it is remarkable to me that I think it's a team of two people put together that plugin that a lot of people run as essentially their task management app.
2: Right, and and it works for me. I I manage it through projects as well. Yeah. So uh, and then I, the other thing I do is, for example, I have tons of meetings. I have a template for meetings. Yeah, and that in, in that template, I will uh it will automatically extract the title put it in the appropriate place put the date in the appropriate place put headings for uh the people attending the meeting purpose of the meeting I'll have a section for notes i'll have a section for action items and so when i get started you know there's no mucking around it's already there it's linked from my day notes so at the start of my day i've got my events already planned out and so all i have to do to take notes for the meeting is to click on the event in my day note That then links back to the day. So at any point, I can see all the meetings I had in any given period very easily. I can see them double-linked up the wazoo (laughs) (laughs) any way I want, which is beautiful. I I get it. I feel like there
1: is an obsidian kind of path where it's a little confusing when you first start using it. And then once you start to master it, you want it to do everything. And then usually you dial back from that a little bit. That's exactly what happened, yeah. Yeah, but it sounds to me like you didn't dial back too much because you've got oh, tasks did. and and um, and a lot in there. Uh, a quick update on the Obsidian Field Guide. Um, the recording is done. Uh, so right now, as I say those words, JF is somewhere in his car howling because he's the guy who does post-production for me. He's just screaming, like, why did you share that? Because, because he the the right now he's finishing post production. I'm hoping to have that out by the end of August. Awesome. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, JF, for what I just did to you. Publicly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is it is a crazy tool. I'm glad that you got into. it. In fact, I may want to talk to you because uh, we may need to to include you in the field guide at some point. Uh, but the uh, it, it is a great tool. I'm glad it, it worked for you. I think it is something that either works or doesn't work for people. And uh, for someone who doesn't care for Electron, it's interesting to me that this one did stick with you.
2: You know, they've taken great care to make it look more Mac-like than most Electron apps. Yeah, I love them for that.
1: And and they have a they have a great iPhone and iPad app, but I still feel that oh. if you are going to be an Obsidian person, you need to be primarily a Mac person.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, the the only thing missing. From so so okay, so here's an interesting thing. I have a three-way approach to tasks. I have the nagging stuff. The nagging stuff goes in obsidian. Yeah. Okay? Okay. And that, that's the nagging stuff. Then I have the immediate stuff. The stuff that, you know, it really needs to get done. That goes into tick tick, which I use across everything. And that's okay. usually only two or three things at a time. And then the really important stuff, the stuff that absolutely has to be done by a certain deadline, that goes straight into my calendar. I'm much more about using my calendar to schedule my tasks than I've ever been at any point. Yeah, it's just schedule blocks of time for the big stuff. Yeah, and I actually purposely put stuff there, and it exists nowhere else. That way, when I sit down and I know exactly what I've got to do, and the only way that thing is going to come off the calendar is if I move it to some other time. And that I feel a lot more guiltier about than just changing the date on a tick-tick item or, or in Obsidian.
1: Well, uh, another thing we talked about in preparation for today's show is that um, day one, and I know that this app comes up on the show frequently, but you have some numbers here. 12 years and 20,000 entries. Correct.
2: That's a lot of entries. It is. I think that makes it, it's got to be my number one app. Yeah. I think that makes it my number one app of all time. I don't think I've ever used anything as much as often or have engaged with anything as much as this. Yeah. I have, I have 12 years, 6,000 entries. Just to let you know, I,
1: I, that's, it's remarkable to me how many entries you've made, what, how does it fit into your day that you get that many entries?
2: Right, so I have shortcuts that allow me to enter an idea immediately, and it goes into day one. Whenever I have something on YouTube that I want to save, it goes into day one. Uh, So I have a YouTube journal. Okay,
1: so like if you see something you like, you make some notes on it and just save it to day one.
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, right. there'll be one one line description on why I saved it, and and uh, and I'm good. Uh, what else have I got? Well, you talked about
1: earlier your writing desk and your fountain pen. Do you also like put stuff into day one from the analog side?
2: No. So I will. Uh, the only thing I'll take from the analog side is I will put pictures in. So, for example, if 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 I want to remember a certain day, let's say I took the family somewhere. I'll want to save those photos in day one. I'll want to describe the day and what happened. Yeah, And that is so good, so useful, because what I do at the end of the day, every single day, is I have a widget on my um, iPhone. And one of the few times I'll go to my iPhone nowadays is at nighttime to look at my day one on this day widget. Yeah. And that lets me rewind up to 12 years. I mean, that's, you know, that's practically the lives of my youngest kids. And there'll be something that I can look back on fondly or share, you know, because the thing is, it's a short life. We're not kids anymore. Yeah. But we forget so much of the good. And it's just the way we're primed. I mean, evolution rewards us for remembering that which screwed us up it does not reward us for remembering the stuff that was good it's much more important for us to remember what could hurt us than to remember what was beautiful or memorable and yeah the gap versus the game exactly and this is something i've taught youngsters for years now and i live by it myself that every day if you really want To feel true gratitude, you can easily scroll back through your memories and say, Oh my goodness, that was a good day. That was a beautiful experience. Oh, that was that was excellent. My life has been good. You can say with something like day one, my life has been good. And you can say it every night. And I don't think I can give an app a better testimonial than that. I mean, it took 12 years to get there. Don't get me wrong. It's not like in the first year I had lots to look back on. But now I have an automated way of looking back at beautiful memories. And because I've kept up my practice of journaling just about anything religiously, I find funny stuff, sad stuff, but mostly happy stuff, joyous stuff, warm stuff, you know? And it's just worth reliving because we forget. That's the crazy thing. That's the thing that really surprises me is that technology and day one in particular allows me to bring back that which my brain had forgotten because Mm -hmm. my brain considered it useless.
1: And, and, you know, one of the nice benefits of the, uh, of the new shared photo feature in Apple photos is that you don't have to be responsible for taking those pictures. My, my wife is great at, at like when we go somewhere out, she always takes a picture of like the place we went and, you know, a picture of us and she's, she documents her life with these photos but now we have a shared library and i love every weekend i go in and i just grab some of the photos usually she's taking them not me and then you put them in day one automatically dates the entry to the date of the photo and yeah. you write some notes about what happened and you're right then it's in there and yeah 12 years from now i will be able to go back and see that and uh it really uh that app Just can it gets better with as the corpus gets bigger. The more Mm -hmm. you put into it, the more you get out of it. But I think all three of us are avid users of it, and that's why I almost hesitate to bring it up because I feel like we talk about it every episode. But
2: damn, this is good, (laughs) and it can it can help people. I mean, the thing is it it improves my life. It's not just a productivity thing. It it improves the quality of my life. It improves. You know, here is the thing. It improves the quality of my past. When I look back on my life, I think, I've had a really good life. If I didn't have day one, I promise you, I wouldn't think that. Because my default is to catastrophize, is to think about all the bad stuff, is to be a perfectionist, is to say, I messed up here, I screwed up there, I failed this person. And no, that's not true. You know, I'll look back at... uh things that nice that people have said about me, nice people have said nice things about me, and I'll say, Ah, I wasn't such a jerk after all
3: mm-hmm. I wasn't yeah.
2: nearly as bad as I thought. Day one makes my past beautiful mm. and and it's the truth it's the truth that's the thing we we've fooled ourselves into thinking that the truth is negative, yeah, and without these digital crutches, we'd never know the truth well i mean that that's a
1: genetic thing that grew out of. Running from saber tooth tigers. We didn't right. worry about the lambs. We were, you know, and, but the, uh, I actually have a, 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 and this, we'll, we'll move on after this, but I, I have a day one journal because I have a lot of journals in day one, but one of them just called Max Sparky Love. And occasionally somebody sends me an email telling me about some way I help them in their life. And it's very warm and warms the cockles of my heart. And I actually just forward it to this one. And, I feel like one day when I'm old and drooling on myself, this is the one journal that's going to keep me going. Hmm. I'm going to go back and read these, and it'll make me feel good about my life. Um, but, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's just um, it's just a great app. But let, let's move on. You had one on your list here that we have never talked about on Mac Power Users, unlike day one. Steven just highlighted, this is the exact app I was going to talk yeah. about. Uh, IA Presenter, tell us about that.
2: IA Presenter is by Information Architects, the people behind IA Writer. They created this, oh, I don't know, over a year ago, I think. It was not widely available. There was a limited alpha. You had to sign up for it. Me being a fan of IA Writer, huge fan of IA Writer, absolutely love it, had to give this uh, a try. So... I was on their wait list and then eventually got accepted. I sent them a compelling pitch as to exactly why I should be accepted without knowing anything about it, by the way. They promised to completely change the way we thought about presentations. Now, they all do that, don't they? But (laughs) they actually delivered. And the premise of IA Presenter is that you write your script, but your script is not your presentation. Your script serves as the stuff you can share, and it's the stuff that you can read, but it's not the presentation. The presentation is massively, massively stripped down. It's one or two points, it's an image, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's mostly automated, and one of the things I like about it most is it never goes full screen, because that's just rude right? Nobody knows what's going on. N- nobody knows which window to switch to. Let's face it. I, I mean, you're the presentation king, aren't you, David? I mean, uh, I, I, you wrote the book on it, okay? I actually read that book, loved that book, and um, learned a lot from it. And that's what helped me get set up in the first place. But the great thing about this is, you don't have to worry about any of that. It's two windows. One window is your script. One window is your uh, it's your actual presentation, and they 're all written in the same place that 's the beauty of it all right well i 'm going to have to
1: check it out now i because i yep. am I am very much comfortable with keynote and i I have written a book about it but the uh but I thought oh, i don't need another presentation app I'm a master oh, you at do. this chemo but now no. I, now you've encouraged me i'm going 'm going to give it a shot
2: no check check it out it's perfect it 's markdown as well by the way. you write the whole thing in markdown it organizes your media separately you can set up your themes in a, a really straightforward way it's stripped down but it's extremely powerful you can send any screen wherever you want so for example in my case i can be I, it's designed for the uh, web conferencing era so i could be sending my presentation to the the zoom call while on my screen or on in my case my teleprompter screen I see my script. So it looks like I'm giving an amazing presentation, whereas, in fact, I'm just reading my script off my teleprompter. Yeah. So it's got all of that, um, but the best thing about it is just how easy it is just to cut and paste a whole bunch of text you want to talk about, stick it into a presentation, make a few things heading, heading 1, and that's your deck, right? Separated with a three hyphen line separator for each slide. A bit like the um, uh, enhanced presentation plugin for Obsidian, which I was using before IA Presenter, Uh, except IA Presenter is better in just about every way. Uh, All my presentations I've done, and I've given quite a few publicly since this was available to me, have all been done with IA Presenter. Uh, I only use PowerPoint under threat of injury, you know, if I'm absolutely forced to use it for some particular client. And then only after I export from IA Presenter grudgingly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I will tell you, PowerPoint, I had to use it recently
1: for something I did. And it's it's a good app. I mean, over the years, there were years when it was not a good app. It's it's a good app now. I, I think Keynote's better, but, you know, I think people could argue about it. But this is a completely different take on it. Uh, this really encourages you to simplify your slides, which I am always a big fan of if you read yes. my book. I, I feel like people uh, – the, the problem is people give presentations, they're nervous about the presentation. So ultimately, the easiest crutch is to write your presentation on the slide, Yeah, and then <laughs> you put the slide up, and then you turn your back to the audience and read the slide to them, which is the most insulting thing you can really do to an audience, But <laughs> but people – but then you're safe, right? And I think that's why people do that. But, mm. but this this gets you out of that, and it, it literally forces you out of it. And uh, just looking at the screenshots, it looks pretty. I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna give uh, kick the tires on this one. Awesome,
2: I think you'll like it.
0: One other uh, name that jumped out on me on your list is Superhuman, which is a, a new. I think they've been, I think they've been around a little while, but a, a new yeah. email app and, and system. What drew you to this and and what makes it different than something uh, like, you know, straight Gmail or something like that?
2: It is incredibly focused on doing everything with the keyboard. It's lightning fast. It feels incredibly powerful. I've tried to go without it and failed miserably. It lets me easily manage split mailboxes. I've got multiple Gmail accounts, but each Gmail account is split into separate inboxes. The The keyboard shortcuts have amazingly clear and sensible defaults. It's just, it's, you, do you remember that old Mac app, MailMate? Yeah. It's that old, it's still around. Still around. It's, it, I loved that. So like Markdown Mail, right? Yeah. So imagine that, but like, Way faster, way less cluttered, but primarily focused towards Gmail. Yeah, I have never had so many weeks of Inbox Zero uh, consecutively as I've had with Superhuman. And that's why I stick with it. It's astonishingly expensive for what is essentially a glorified Gmail wrapper. Hmm. But I, I work for a living. And I spend a lot of time in email. And so let's not quibble about 30 bucks a month when it's still the primary means of communication. If it's getting me just a bit more speed, if it makes me feel a bit more organized, if my mailbox doesn't look a hot mess, all because of this, it's not a lot of money. So I think people do complain about the price, but I've always been happy to spend whatever's necessary if I think I'm getting value. And in, in this case, I think I am getting the value. I forget. How much does it cost a month? 30 bucks a month. Yeah. Okay. So I, I hear that. And I,
1: I think that like, I used to spend $50 a month on dragon dictate because at the time that was the best option on the Mac and people would give me grief about that. But I'm like, it saves me so much time. And, uh, you know, I will gladly pay this because I make that money back using this app the first day of the month. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's the way you think about these productivity apps. It's easy to get hung up on it, but uh superhuman to me has always been interesting. I've looked at it. Uh, I pay a tax for not using Google products. Sometimes like there's always interesting calendar and mail apps that are uh, used as a starting point, you know, plug in your Gmail credentials yeah. and then, you know, And I don't use Gmail or Google Calendar. So as a result, I don't get to play with those toys. So much so that I occasionally think, should I? you know? But then I can never get myself quite to do it, right? Um, And I think that um, if you are a Gmail user and email is a problem for you, this is an absolute solution. Now, that being said, if you're a Mac Power user, you also may be able to find. It's worth looking at their website just to say, huh. You know, that's an interesting thing they do. Could I find a way to duplicate a feature like that? You know? And Steve and I talk about some of our hacks and things we do on the show all the time. I have tons of stuff I've done with keyboard maestro and Apple scripts and whatnot, where I've kind of cobbled together my own version of superhuman using Apple Mail. But it's not the same as you just give someone thirty bucks and it's the problem is solved.
2: That's the thing. I mean, you you guys are superhuman, right? So you uh, and and I don't mean that entirely flippantly. What I mean is you're doing things with technology that most people are not doing. You're able to connect the dots. Um, you're able to wire things up in a way that most people don't think about. It's, it's why you've been so prominent in this space that's helped so many people for so long. But a lot of us just aren't at that level. I'm certainly not at that level. I, I used to think that I was close to that level, and i just ran out of time and i thought do i really want to f- focus on this or do i want to focus on other stuff so i started focusing on other stuff much to my regret i have to say i miss all of that you know i miss mucking about with with hazel uh, i miss mucking about with keyboard maestro cuz i did some crazy stuff with that and and with text expander all of them all working together and what have you anyway sad sad um please leave a sad emoji in the comments I'm glad you shared this though, because I
1: feel like superhuman is something we've never mentioned on the show, but I think a lot of people may benefit from it. You know, there are people listening to the show for whom $30 a month is not a problem if it's going to mean that their email gets done 10 minutes faster every day.
2: If it means a lot to you, if you're using the Google services, if you like using keyboard shortcuts, and um, uh, I think if all those things are true uh, uh, and your business affords you the option, it's it's a good option, but for most people, they'll be fine with just regular Gmail.
1: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using the code MPU. There's a problem that everybody faces at one point or another, and that is how do you build a simple, beautiful, Easy to manage website. Maybe you're starting a new business, maybe you're getting married, maybe you're looking for a new job and you just want to give yourself an internet presence to potential employers. Regardless, that problem gets easily solved with Squarespace. Squarespace has a new website design system called Fluid Engine and it's even better than before. They've always been easy, it got easier with a best-in-class website template and you can customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine. It's built in and ready to go on any Squarespace site. They have built this in a way that anybody can do this. Another thing that's really difficult when you're setting up a website is managing your content, but not with Squarespace. They have asset library, where you can upload, organize, and access all your content from one place. So there's no more scrambling to find the right content. You can manage all of your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. And of course they have the rest covered too. You want analytics? It's built in. Do you want to monetize? You can do that. You can sell your services, your goods, even your time using a Squarespace website. I started using them when they first got released and they've just got easier and easier over the years. One of the things I do love about Squarespace is a lot of people come to me and ask for help building a website. And what I always do is just sit down with them and get them started with Squarespace. That way I'm able to help the less tech inclined people in my life run their own website. And it's very empowering for them because they feel like this is something they'll never be able to do. But Squarespace just makes it so easy. So check out squarespace.com/mpu for a free trial. Share it with a friend, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com/mpu and use that code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com/mpu and code MPU when you decide to sign up to get that 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power Users and Oliver LayFM.
0: So I had the the Google document here says something that we don't normally talk about on Mac power users, but uh, you've you've touched on it. You've you've briefly mentioned it previously, uh, but you are someone who uses both iOS and Android. And I think Android more often than the iPhone. Uh, What went into that decision and really when i what i want to get at is through the lens of all this productivity stuff that you're doing uh using both ios and android means that you are limiting in some ways the, the types and number of app, mobile apps that you can use has that been a big deal
2: yes and no i i, I think the, the the biggest issue for me for many years was the quality of software on iphone and the variety of software on iPhone, certainly at the upper quality levels, was far superior. And there's nothing on Android, for example, to compete with Day One. But what's changed is that Day One is now available on Android. Uh, there, was, there, there are all these apps that are absolutely amazing on iOS, and more and more of them are appearing on Android. And yes, there is the ecosystem argument. I have an Apple Watch Ultra, for example, which I love, which is one of my favorite pieces of Apple technology in a long time. I have a really good reason for wearing an Apple Watch. And it's because it displays my uh, blood glucose levels and I can look at them all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a lot of money to pay for something that lets me look at blood glucose levels when I could quickly pull out a phone and look. But when you do it, 20, 30, 40 times a day, uh, you know, you don't want to be pulling your phone out that often. You just won't get anything done. I love the Apple ecosystem. I hope that's abundantly clear. I've already pointed out how I use the On This Day f- uh, widget for day one at the end of the day to look back at my life. But there were two issues with the iPhone. Um that that caused me no end of grief. The first is, for some reason, and for me, the keyboard has become less and less accurate over the years. I just cannot type a thing. I end up hitting the enter key instead of, I think, space, repeatedly, so that every every text message I send sounds like somebody's trying to write a haiku. And it was just infuriating and i've also found it increasingly slow and i thought i had an iphone 13 pro max and i thought i don't really want to get the 14 pro max so i did something really weird i downgraded i downgraded my 13 pro max to a 13 pro mini and i thought i'm just going to dump stuff from this phone and i kept dumping stuff kept dumping stuff got to a really stripped down state it was a lot lot more comfortable But then I realized I did need a phone for a whole bunch of other stuff. For example, photography, right? So the 13 Pro Mini is okay for photography. But the phone I got to replace it is much better. And I got a massively good deal for it. And part of it was curiosity. Part of it was, can I really use this thing? Because I tried it before and failed miserably, you know? Mm -hmm. You always go back to your first love. And for me, it's been iPhone from from day 1 but this time I got the Pixel 7 Pro I got it for a ridiculous price it was half the price of a flagship iPhone and it does pretty much all the stuff I like but the the, the reason I went for this there's one really odd reason I went for this I think David will appreciate it given his mention of Dragon Dictate the dictation feature On the Pixel 7 Pro is astonishing. It really is far and away the best speech recognition I've ever seen on any device ever. It's startlingly good. And I've been using this for day one entries. I've been using this for journaling. I've been using it for planning the next season of Code is Just. I've been using it to write emails. It really is quite incredible. It's almost as if I didn't get it as a mobile phone. I got it as a dictation device <laughs> and a camera. So, it, you know, it's my dictaphone and it's my camera. Sure. And yes, I yes I have all the other apps on it. I,
1: I'm making a mission. At one point, I seriously looked at getting a cheap Android phone just for dictation, for the same reason because it is right. really good, you know. And uh, but uh, I feel like Apple's gotten they've really improved their game over the years. It's not. The di- I, at one point we had a sponsor on that sold, um sold. Uh, they sold like cell chips or something. I don't remember what it was, but they want us to do a testimonial. So I actually had an Android phone for a couple months. And, it, and once I actually used it, I didn't feel like it was that much better than Apple's dictation, hmm. but maybe it is. And I just didn't do it right or something, but yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. Cause I was very tempted by that same thing.
2: It's, specifically the pixel seven pro dictation app because for some reason i don't know how it does this it puts in punctuation for you it puts in question marks for you it puts in line breaks for you seems to handle that stuff magically even separate speakers so if you want to have a conversation with someone it will separate speakers so uh, and the other thing of course is it looks pretty much real time so one of the things I found disconcerting with the iPhone was that there would be this slight delay before I'd see stuff coming up. With the Pixel 7, the words are coming up as I'm speaking, which is extremely reassuring, and I take fewer pauses as a result, trusting the phone to keep up with me and do its job. But the other other reason I'm sticking with it, for now at least, is I find that for some reason, I'm much more accurate on the keyboard. I can hammer away at a, a pretty long email, actually, and it won't have made any mistakes. And I, I was getting to the point where I couldn't write a, a single sentence without error on the iPhone. I don't know why that is. It shouldn't have happened. It's almost like uh, the AI uh, chat GPT-4 style was beginning to devolve instead of evolve.
1: I would like you to, um, in the fall, when they release iOS 17, I would like you to try both of those things on your your iPhone. Because this has been a year where Apple um, moved to a a, um, a tra- they they moved to an AI based um, uh, voice to text engine. So this year it's a new engine, and I can tell you using the betas, it is much better. And the they did the same thing with the keyboard. So I would be very curious to hear your experiences with iOS 17, having been frustrated with prior versions of it, and. I will, um, even as somebody who talks about Apple and is a big Apple fan, I, I think absolutely those two things have needed improvement for a long time. And we've talked about that on the show in the past. But uh, I would, I mean, I'm not telling you to switch back. I mean, if, would it use whatever you like. But I would be very curious to hear if you try the new one, what you think of it. you have to maybe let us know when once it ships.
2: Nothing would give me more pleasure than to go back to an iPhone that I love again.
1: What do you think about the camera? I mean, I, I, um, to me, a big deal with the phone is the camera, and I, I will admit, I have almost no experience with Android phone cameras.
2: So the the Pixel Seven Pro camera is good, really good, uh, day and night. It's really good. The video is not as good as iPhone. Yeah, but other than that, you know, it's it's perfectly usable. Uh, I, I think all cameras have got to the point now where they're good enough, but yeah. I think. When it comes to video, Apple is so far ahead of everyone else. I do hear that um, the
1: stabilization and video are, are generally better on the iPhone, but I haven't really compared them to to an Android myself. Mm.
0: I think it's always been a, a bit of a struggle on on the Android side. I think, in particular, on the Pixel line, um, but even with the the Samsung devices, Apple's just been, I think, ahead of, ahead of the curve there. One thing I, I do wonder about is uh, using something like Gboard, which is Google's keyboard, on iOS. Have you gone down that road? I tried that. And n- not not for you?
2: Yeah, it was not not quite the same. Okay. Uh, there, there were a few frustrating things about it. I still had the keyboard accuracy issues. Uh, and I did try the Gboard uh, voice input because mm-hmm. it's meant to use their algorithm. It wasn't as good as on the Pixel yeah. 7. Look, I don't want to be carrying two phones. I feel like <laughs> an idiot. I feel like an idiot, but most of the... See, here's Okay, another another thing. I, I haven't covered this angle, and perhaps I should, because right now I sound like a, a jilted lover, and I don't mean to come across that way. Uh, you know, try, trying to make apple jealous through my use of the pixel 7 pro like they care okay so that's not actually the full story the full story is this my iphone is completely stripped down it is not a device for enjoyment the only time i enjoy this device is when i reflect in the evening it has nothing else related to enjoyment but my pixel has all the other stuff it has all the social media, it has Netflix, it has Plex, you know it has it even has this old Android app that allows me to watch movies from the fifties for free. How cool is that? There was this movie I loved when I was a kid, um fiend without a face. It was the most horrifying thing you could possibly imagine, Of course, it would be completely lame, but you can watch that for free on this app, so anyway, my point being. That the Android is my fun device. When I want to goof off, when I want to waste my time, that's the one I pick up. Guess what? I don't pick it up that often because of that. Mm -hmm. You remember that contextualization thing we're talking about? Let's say I need to step out of the house. Guess what stays at home? Pixel. Yeah. But, But I don't want to use my iPhone. It's got nothing on it, and I don't like using it. So guess what? I'm more focused. I have more time. I'm getting more work done. And the only time I'll pick up the pixel is, if I'm at home, it's lying around, I want to take some video of the kids, yeah, or I want to take a picture of the sunrise, or I want, it's first thing in the morning, and I want to record a journal entry into day one, or I've got an idea and I need to quickly record my audio take on it, or it's late and I want to quickly watch something on YouTube. That's the device I'll pick up. It's my goofing off device. Mm -hmm. Well, it's
1: interesting to me because like, because someone that uses the Mac to do your work and you're on it all day to knowingly choose a different platform for your mobile device, you're just adding a million friction points to your life. And that is not something anyone would do lightly. You have to be really not happy with your iPhone experience to do that, you know? Um, you're not you're not making it easy on yourself i guess is what i'm saying and i that's why i'm so interested in hearing you know what is it that pushed you over because there are people that do that they prefer android i i know like a lot of people like android because of the flexibility of it like you can tweak anything in it and apple makes decisions for you on the iphone where they don't really let you behind the curtain and for some people that's a big enough deal that they want android and uh, you know, it sounds to me like for you, it's actually not that. It's, no, it's that Apple right. is dropping the ball on some stuff yeah. that you wanted to do better.
2: Just the basics. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a religious freak about this or anything. I don't care about Android's added flexibility. I don't care about iOS's uh, supposedly better user experience or better video camera. These are all nice to have or not so nice to have things. It's not what makes or breaks a deal hmm. for me. I was getting getting tired of having to pay £1,000 plus for a device on which I couldn't even type properly, not a single sentence. It was infuriating. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to make the same complaint about a Mac. I have a a mechanical keyboard fetish, which I indulge pretty much every month of the year. I use whichever (laughs) keyboard I want, and I type magnificently. There's not going to be any problems typing into a Mac. But this device that I loved so much, wanted to love so much, I cannot talk to it. Will not listen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to send a simple message to my wife. It it's three lines long with a capital letter at the beginning of each line. It's a damn haiku. You know, <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> want to write haikus.
3: <laughs>
2: I uh, I want to hear from you,
1: Shahid. After iOS 17 releases, tell me if it's still writing haikus or if it's actually getting a better job done. <laughs> I don't know. No, maybe if you've got an extra device on, load up iOS seventeen. Let us know. Like even the iPad is using the same technology. You could try it there too.
2: Yeah, iPad. I have no issue with. I mean i I love my iPads. My iPad uh, Mini Six is probably my favorite iPad for a very long time. Well, why don't you break it and put the beta on? Because I want to know now what
1: you think of the keyboard and the uh, and the voice to text.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay, I all might right. just do and that. And then
1: when, when all your um, stuff stops working because you're in the beta, you can just curse me, <laughs> like J. I'd never do
2: that. Never do that.
0: This episode of MPU is brought to you by Tailscale. Human-scale teams build trusted networks by securely connecting devices with Tailscale. With Tailscale, you can connect to Home Assistant to check on your place while you're away, You can also stream movies, shows, and music anywhere from your NAS box using Plex or Jellyfin. Plus, you can access a pie hole from anywhere and secure your connection when on a Wi-Fi network that you don't totally trust. And now you can sign into Tailscale using your Apple ID. So if you prefer to have your credentials managed by Apple and iCloud, this option will be great for you. Just sign into Tailscale with your Apple ID on the Mac or iPhone, iPad using Touch ID or Face ID for a super fast sign-in. Plus, you can use a pass key to authenticate your Tailscale account. Once connected, you can use TailDrop to move files between a Mac, iPhone, iPad, Linux VMs, Docker containers, Steam Decks, and even PCs. If you're looking to share your work more widely, Tailscale Funnel makes it easier than ever to share your local development over the internet for collaboration, testing, and experimentation. Using Tailscale Funnel, you can receive a webhook from GitHub, share a local service with a coworker, or even host a personal blog or a status page on your own local machine. Funnel is a secure way to expose your development environment at a stable URL over the internet, complete with auto-provisioned TLS certificates. Use it from the command line or the new VS Code extension with just a few keystrokes, securely exposing a local port to the internet right from your IDE. Tailscale has clients for macOS, iOS, Windows, Linux, and Android. And their free plan includes three users and 100 devices. So head on over to tailscale.com slash MPU to build your team's trusted network today. That's tailscale, T-A-I-L-S-C-A-L-E, tailscale.com slash MPU. And if you're interested in working at Tailscale, they're currently looking for a macOS engineer. Check out their careers page for more information. Our thanks to Tailscale for their support of the show. And Relay FM. All right. One of
1: the things we had to talk to you about is Vision Pro. I mean, you being in the gaming industry, I know you've had a lot of experience and given a lot of thought to AR and VR. And uh, the gaming angle in particular, we've heard very little from Apple on. What's your initial take on Apple's new headset and gaming?
2: Let's cover the most practical. Side of things first, and that is power. This thing has a battery that clips your belt or whatever, and provides juice to the headset, which lasts two hours. I guarantee you, it will not last two hours with the game running. So that's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, I'm. We're talking about a full on game that demands all of the resources of the system. Mm-hmm. That's really the most pragmatic thing. But you know what? That's a terrible way to start. But the reason I'm starting that way is because no device has ever excited me as much as this device. Hmm. No no device has filled me with a sense of reverential awe and terrible deep-rooted fear as okay. this device. Okay. All it, right. Well, let's get is, to the bottom of this. Let's get to the bottom of this. Sure. So, first of all, this device gives me the same feeling as the Lisa gave me mm. when I first read a review of that. Uh, all right, in, that's
1: some deep catalog. All right. In
2: personal computer world back in the day. I think it was Dick Pounton who wrote the article, and I remember this article because it ended with, I love you, Lisa. There's no way a man like Dick Pounton would ever write anything so flowery unless he had been possessed by evangelical zeal at the potential of what he was seeing. yeah, And I feel that same sense, looking at this thing that I haven't even touched yet, about this, as he must have done about Lisa. And as I felt about the Amiga when I got my hands on the Amiga for the first time and realized that everything I'd ever known had completely changed and it would never be the same. Uh, this goes beyond that. Shahid
1: was a, an Amiga guy. I, I know I knew a lot of them back in the day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I mean I won't go too much into the Amiga stuff. It's been covered everywhere, but that was a machine that gave me the sense of the impossible becoming possible for the first time. Mm-hmm. But but you've been looking at headsets for a long
1: time in the gaming industry. Why does this one stand out?
2: Because this one crosses the Rubicon into reality. The others don't cut it. The others are all approximations. You need to get to this point where you can throw up a screen anywhere and it looks indistinguishable from your surroundings. In fact, it looks better than your surroundings. That's a Rubicon. The last time Apple crossed this Rubicon was when they came up with the beautiful marketing concept, the cheeky marketing concept of the Retina display. All of a sudden, Pixels no longer mattered. Why? Because, huh, we've gone beyond the resolution of the retina now. Yeah. <laughs> now everything just looks great. We don't even need to talk about numbers. This computer screen is better than your eyeball. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So that was the last time they did it. They're doing it again with this device. Suddenly they have this device with billions of sensors, the most high-definition screens you could possibly throw onto your eyeballs, extremely bright, Hyper realistic, completely 3D. Now the idea of a monitor goes out the window. You are now unbounded. I mean, if I want I, for example, in the last episode, I talked with glee about my 48 inch and 49 inch monitors. 48 inch, because it was a TV screen and I was using it as my 4K display. Well, I can have a 4K display the size of my house if I wanted to, or bigger than my house if I wanted to replace my house. And the beauty of it is it would all look real. That's the difference. That's the Rubicon. If you have a screen on a Quest 2 or a PSVR 2 that is bigger than your house, it's going to look blurry and pixelated and dark. If you have the same thing on a Vision Pro, it's going to look no different from your normal field of view it's going to be much more calibrated and anchored in reality than any of the other things because of the the quality of and and the um utility and the precision and the sheer number of the sensors that they've thrown on board i mean the amount of technology they've thrown into this the number of patents is simply staggering they've been working on this a long long time and can you tell i'm excited i yeah. mean th- this this thing has this thing will change everything I mean, of course, it's not a consumer product. It's crazy that people think that the price that they're asking is too high. Too high for what? For changing the universe? I I mean, when the Lisa came out in the UK, it was £6,500. In the US, it was $10,000. Does anyone care about that now? When we're talking about my MacBook Pro, which is unit... How many hundreds of millions of Apple devices are being sold mm-hmm. since then? And that's what's going to happen here. Nothing will be the same after this device.
1: I remember talking to someone up there at Cupertino, uh, an industry guy, who said, Yeah, the closest thing to this is a $6,000 headset that doesn't have a software story. It's like, it is, I think. For normal people, it's like, that is crazy. But I think for people on the inside, they're Mm -hmm. actually quite competitive for what they're doing.
0: Yeah, because they pitched it as a computer, right? This is spatial computing. This is how this is going to work. To your point, Shahed, it's bringing the real life in with a display quality we haven't seen before. But to Apple, it's a computer. and, And that means that it not only can and should do all the things you do in everyday life, it also means that people are going to be more willing to accept the price, I think. That this is not just something you put on for an hour each evening to watch TV or play a game or do a FaceTime call, but that this, for some people in some situations, could be their primary computer for part of their day. And that's, I don't think, something we've seen in this industry quite yet.
2: Earlier, we talked about contexts. Imagine the amount of context you could bring, bring to mind, and <laughs> bring to your vision mm-hmm. with this. Any context you want at any point. You know, yeah. you want you you want a calm setting. You want all distractions off. You want all notifications off. Not only are the note. All right. Imagine I'm sitting at my desk now. Okay, I don't have this device. I have my conventional setup. I still have. Are you, I don't know if you remember or not. A few years ago, I talked about this idea of diminished reality, which to me was m- as important as augmented reality. And diminished reality uh, was, for example, noise-canceling headphones, or your field of view being altered in some way. And that's exactly what this device offers, and that's what I want. And the reason for uh, diminished reality, the reason it's an advantage, is because it doesn't break the spell. It means that whatever is now projected into your head, into through your eyes, through your ears, through your hands, whatever device you, you want to use, something new can then replace it, which means you can be much more fully immersed. So right now, if I'm working, if I'm doing this, if the dog starts barking at the house behind the shed, it will disturb me, which will affect my delivery, which will affect the quality of this podcast. I can't have that. But if I have this device, suddenly, there's no mess on my desk, okay? The desk is suddenly pristine again. There is an ocean view behind my monitor. At a low level, there is a gentle lapping of the waves, calming me down. There's birdsong. I look around, and there's a glade. There are trees. Sadly, I can't smell the leaves, but they're just trees. There's a light breeze, and we're having this conversation, and I'm sat on this this chair in this amazing space, with my ears only receiving the sound that I wanted to receive, which is the light sound of the ocean in front of me, the light sound of the breeze through the trees behind me, and of course your wonderful voices from across the ocean. That's it. That's all I want, and this device will give me that, and I want it. And I want it now.
1: Yeah, that's the experience that I, everybody that got to do the test, that was the end of their sentence. I want it now.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) The the, uh, All right, I'm with you. Like, I feel like the contextual idea of this is almost unlimited, right? We talked earlier about going to the coffee shop, but you're right. What if I could go to a mountaintop to do email and to, you know, the beach to do this other thing? And then like my brain really starts associating that and like my day can be these moves between contexts, and I can be more efficient and do better work and enjoy it more. So I, I feel like that is something that is absolutely there for us, But then you also said this thing scares you the most. Why?
2: Because it has the potential to separate us even more from our loved ones and put okay. us in these virtual silos. So one of the things that I found quite creepy was the the father. Taking the 3D video of the child and not actually being present to witness it yeah and and I thought Apple will be thinking about that too they they like people They're, they you know they care about the the human experience, the user experience. My guess is that before long they will introduce the same video technology in an iPhone, yeah so you will be able to take the same quality 3D videos using an iphone mm-hmm. and that that feature well, although we'll always be in that headset, that headset will be designed primarily for replay as opposed to record.
1: Yeah, I, it feels like almost a miss that they put that in the keynote because everybody had that reaction. It's like, are you kidding? Your kid's birthday party, and you got this thing strapped to your
2: yeah. face. Yeah, it was it was it was badly marketed, but the feature has merit. They just yeah. it, it, somebody obviously looked at feature over benefit. And, and they don't often make that mistake. I guarantee you,
1: the iPhone nineteen twenty whatever yep. has already got this built in. Yeah, it, like, absolutely. It is like coming. I don't know when. Probably not this year, but the uh, about the time these headsets get more consumer friendly and less expensive, I'm almost certain we're going to see this stuff show up. But but the feature itself, the idea that you could go relive a memory with your young child at a birthday party that is some powerful, heady stuff. Or, you know, I mean, I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but it's like, what about a loved one who's passed and you suddenly feel like they're sitting there next to you again? I mean, that is, I, I don't even know exactly how I feel about it yet. I have to experience it, I guess. But there's we'll some- We'll get used to it. Yeah, there's some weird <laughs> we'll stuff get used going to it. on here. Yeah.
2: It, I mean, it sounds weird, but then so were photographs, David. Yeah, photographs were really weird. You know, Uh, I remember that in my grandfather's time, they would only have one photograph. Yeah, uh, and it would be a photograph of the family. And it would be somewhere, and it was shocking. First time they'd taken a photograph was shocking. Mm -hmm. And and for my father, taking photographs, he was considered really cool because he took photographs on a camera. The person who turned up to parties with a camera was considered a weirdo in my father's era. They they yeah. were the, the weird uncle. Oh, he's a, obviously got a camera fixation. Uh, nobody thought, oh, when will we get to see the photos? They m- may be surfaced one day. Or you might see them if you went to some relative's house, right? So all of these things were really, really odd. And this will seem odd to us to begin with. Just as videos, like home videos, seemed really odd to us. We thought, well, that's a bit strange seeing uh, seeing a dead person animated again and and that's become completely normal and i think apple have already taken a step in that direction with live photos because that's the thing that still freaks me out you look at something from five or six years ago it's a photo and you think oh that's nice oh hang on you know and you press down and it's live and that that for me is shocking and i think that transition is what's going to happen here but people will become comfortable with it just as they've become comfortable with every other form of media.
1: Uh, Like you, I am also mid century modern. And I remember explicitly, my parents would buy a roll of film at the beginning of the year. And that would get all the birthdays and Easter and Halloween costumes. And then they'd usually buy another roll in December. And every (laughs) year we had about 40 pictures, you know, and Mm -hmm. you, you know, my wife and I went to Disneyland for breakfast the other day. I think she took forty pictures on <laughs> an inconsequential three-hour trip. But, so it, it is really uh, something, you know, how this has gone. And you're absolutely right; we will get used to it. But, mm-hmm. but I, I'm with you. I, I think Apple, though, of all companies, is taking that that consideration of the inhumanity of it, in you know, with the eyes on the outside. And I think they really are trying to find a way to make this technology work without taking you out of reality
2: yeah and over time the size of that headset will reduce remember that the lisa was quite yeah. <laughs> quite different to the experience that we have today so everything will change everything will become slimmer lighter uh, more power efficient um, and, and less obtrusive yeah but we, but we can't let you go
1: without talking about the gaming side of this because i'm curious of your thoughts and Apple really hasn't said much
2: about it. What do you think? There are three ways of looking at this as a gaming device. The first is as pure traditional 2D gaming. That is, you throw up a big screen, you put up whatever background you want, and you can play any game you want in this 2D screen. That's one way of looking at it. That's fine. It's okay. I don't think that's going to be the real appeal. The second way is to turn your existing environment into like a board. So you could play within your space. That will be gimmicky. It'll be okay. As long as you've got two people in the same space wearing the headset, or perhaps one person using an iPad, it might be okay. But I think it will have, uh, at best, novelty value. And then the third way of looking at it is uh, a completely mixed reality, full v, uh, full virtual reality experience. Note they never use the term virtual reality in any of their presentations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're consciously trying to avoid that term, because as far as they're concerned, this is reality now. Right. They're, they're, they're calling it a spatial computer. And there's a, there's a reason they're calling it a spatial computer, because it's not virtual anymore. That's what I mean by they've crossed the Rubicon. The resolution is high enough that everything is indistinguishable from reality, certainly when it comes to the visual sense. Yeah. So whatever you see will more or less overwrite whatever is in your real world. So it will be able to do a level of reality that is indistinguishable. Now, whether the hardware available will be able to provide sufficient detail, sufficient frame rates is questionable. But you've got to start somewhere. And I think this does, given the resolution and given the form factor and given the quality of the lenses and given the quality of the various sensors it's got, be a really, really good start in that space. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it being as transformative with the first generation as everyone would like it to be. I just don't think it's powerful enough for that yet. Because let's face it, look at something like PSVR 2. It's astonishing. But the quality of the Vision Pro is likely to be better. However, the PSVR 2 has got a PS5 driving it, which (laughs) in terms of games is an incredible experience, right? The Vision Pro probably not quite at the PS5's (laughs) level in terms of game performance. So what it's got is slightly weaker hardware driving much better optics. And with the PS5 and PSVR 2, yes, you're completely tethered, but now you have superior hardware driving inferior optics. That delivers today a better game experience. But in the future, that will flip because the optics are more important.
1: I I feel like this reminds me of the discussion of Mac displays, right? You know, the 6K and 5K displays are gorgeous for working on, that they've got really sharp text. They are retina, as you were saying earlier, right? Uh, But they're not ideal for gaming. The best gaming monitors are lower resolution and higher refresh rate that are made to give you the ultimate gaming experience. And Apple is just not playing that. And I think that almost is seen here too. Apple goes out of their way. I mean, Alan Dye did an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think over in the UK or somewhere where he talked about this is a product that they want people to get work done on. You know, They want it to be a productivity device, not a gaming device. And I, I feel like they really leaned away from gaming. And just like you said, there are headsets out there that are connected to liquid, cool, super fancy, high-end graphics, powerhouse machines dedicated to doing nothing but sticking, you know, fast refresh pixels in front of your eyeballs on that headset. And this is not
3: that.
2: Yep. Nailed it. And it's never been. You know, Apple has never been about that. I mean, they They talk about games a lot. They have never been about games, not really. Because, uh, and the reason for that is simple that's not their customer. The customers aren't gamers. So, why would they focus on that area? Yeah. The customers are everybody else. And we love them for that. And it's absolutely fine for them to be that. Yes, all of these other things, like, like for example, the ability to more easily port games from Windows to Apple. Are hygiene factors? They're they're one, one reason why you would ordinarily reject a device being taken away from you. They're like having the Netflix app on a PlayStation 5. Nobody buys a PS5 to watch Netflix on. <laughs> but but PlayStation wants those people who are on their device to stay on that device even when they're not playing games. And it's yeah. the same with Apple. Apple want people who are working to to chill and play a game when they're done working, and ideally on their device. And they recognize that's not happening a lot of the time. But frankly, and this is really, uh, I think this is controversial on my part, I don't think the majority of Apple's customers are the kind of people who stop working to play video games. And I don't think you ever see that in their ads, not really. You see very uh, contrived scenarios of people playing their games. Um, the only place where people play their games, I think is casual stuff on, on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And that's become a very stratified, very rarefied, very, uh, commercially driven place that is focused almost entirely on the mechanics of free to play. And there was nothing Apple could do about it. Apple arcade didn't fix it. Uh, the The ability of people to make premium games didn't fix it because people don't want to play premium games on iOS. They just don't. That's, so I think Apple have come to recognize what I've been saying for years and years and years, that is gamers are just not their customer base and they're not going to turn their existing customers to gamers. They just want to make sure those people who use their devices a lot, people like us, ideally would stay on their devices to play games. I would, you know? If if for example the games I already have on Steam, if I could play more on more of them on my uh M One Max, I'd do so. hmm Why not? Why would I want to switch to a PC? Yeah. Uh you know, why would I wanna go over use another device? I'd rather just sit here and uh and play a game on this machine. Of course, that would break my whole context scenario, but that's a <laughs> story yeah. and a problem for
0: another day. Yeah. What do you make of the Unity news with Vision OS?
2: Smart. Very smart. Because Unity is by far the easiest of the two giant middleware providers to get into. Well, explain what it means for people who don't even know what Unity is. Okay. So in the world of video games, there are two really big pieces of software that are used to build games with, to create games in and to release games by using their tool sets and software development kits. They are Unreal Engine by Epic Games, and there's Unity. Uh, Unity traditionally has been more mobile-friendly and more approachable. It has been the one that's seen as having the lowest barrier to entry. Whereas Unreal Engine has a reputation of being slightly harder to approach, not necessarily mobile-friendly, but superb for top-tier experiences. So some of the the most visually stunning games have been made in Unreal Engine, but some of the most popular games have also been made in Unity. They're slightly different audiences. Now, Unity is really good for VR. It's been really well built for VR, particularly the the Quest and the Quest 2. And remember, these are lightweight headsets mm-hmm. that are untethered. And the thing to bear in mind, of course, is that these lightweight, untethered headsets have mobile chipsets. And that's why Unity is pretty good. And then because Unity has traditionally been very mobile-focused, whereas Unreal Engine has been more heavyweight. Now, both of these engines allow you to build... 3D worlds and to bring them to life using scripts or using visual coding techniques, uh, also known as no code. They both have rich uh, ecosystems that support plugins, assets, and so on. And so Unity's partnership with Apple in this respect makes sense because even though, as you say, David, this is a computer it is a mobile device as well. And that's slightly tenuous. For me, it's a mixture of mobile device and the spatial computing element for which Unity is really well suited. I'm not saying Unreal Engine isn't suited to it, but we all know that Epic and Apple have this little disagreement at the moment. And I think this might well, it won't necessarily bite Epic. Epic are making a fortune out of Fortnite. What do they care? But um, in the long run, I see this becoming more and more important. And I would imagine Epic would want a slice of this in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be difficult unless they come to some kind of agreement with Apple. I hope they do.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see, see where it goes. I, I I think I agree with you that Apple's traditional customer, not necessarily the the same type of person who's big into, into PC gaming, but I could see the technology of vision pro headset. Luring people over maybe if Apple can do a good job of this. And if this uh, integration with unity means it's easier for developers to, to either port existing work or, uh start a new project for Vision Pro. It's all you know, it's also interesting. This thing doesn't ship with a controller. Of course, Apple has had uh controller support across its ecosystem for a few years now, but out of the box, this thing does not come come with a controller. It's a it's a bring your own device sort of situation. It just feels like there's some maybe some mixed messaging there. Um but I, I think, you know, kind of going back to the Lisa thing, right? The Lisa is important now because of what it led to and it may be that yeah maybe this iteration of vision os and vision hardware maybe it doesn't take off in the gaming space but maybe it's you know a step in that direction for for apple and we just won't know for a while but i'm very interested in watching it and seeing how it goes
2: yeah and of course we just don't know right I mean, one of the things about crossing the Rubicon is it leads to things that we simply could not have predicted. Mm-hmm. And that's the exciting thing. It might be that this is a thing that eventually, once we have some kind of consumer device, is host to an experience that is unimaginable, inconceivable, impossible, and anything else. Could happen. Well, that's why it's really exciting right now
1: to be watching Apple because they are about to turn over the apple cart in these headsets. And uh, when this thing comes out, we're going to learn a lot. Um, my guess, if I had to predict in gaming, is it's going to be great for gaming up to a level. And if you want the highest in the highest frame rates, the most realistic, you know, shoot 'em up, you're probably going to want something more dedicated to gaming. But you know, the question is, where is that line drawn? Kind of going back to where we we're at the beginning of the show with apple silicon i think apple's going to go to a certain level with this initial hardware but also at 3500 dollars, who's going to buy this thing for gaming anyway
3: <laughs>
2: yeah exactly
1: either way uh shahid you always bring it when you come to the mac power users i love it um so much good stuff today uh you uh where are we going to get into the the gaming rig you're trying to buy me and to convince me to buy <laughs> Um, the, uh, but I, uh, I really love hearing your thoughts on this stuff. You're always so thoughtful about it. And thank you so much for coming in today and sharing with us.
2: Always such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Where should people go if they want to, uh, keep up with what you're doing?
2: Well, I'm, I'm still on that thing that has no name. Uh, sorry. It's, it's called X now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so on, on Twitter, I'm still at Shahid Kamal. Yeah. My newsletter is newsletter.dancingmonkeys.net that's a good place to get my latest thoughts and if anyone wants to drop me a message via that strange place uh then my dms are open
1: all right well that's good and then uh we're going to link your your new ventures. I'm going to also put a link in for newsletter Dancing Monkeys, which I'm in the process of signing up for myself.
2: Oh, amazing! Uh, Thank
1: you, you. Didn't know you had one, so I can't wait to to keep up with it. And um, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at Relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, we have those forums at Talk.MacPowerUsers.com. Always fun to go in there and hear what people are thinking about the show. Uh, our sponsors today are one password clean my mac x squarespace and tailscale thank you so much for the support of the show as well as thank you to the mac uh the mpu plus uh subscribers that get that additional ad free version of the show your support is really important to us uh we will see you next time